0: I went to Medill.
1: No, you did not. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg, and I'm joined by my co-editors, Chris Schuette and Kyle Cajero. Hope you enjoyed a great weekend of college basketball. I know we're coming uh, about a day later than we usually do, but I think that's just, well, we didn't feel like doing it last night. (laughs) Yeah, pretty
0: um, much. Yeah. Um there weren't but, any pressing matters that needed to be attended no. to.
1: There there weren't any pressing matters, but there is still a lot to talk about um had a bunch of big matchups especially out west. Um this weekend New Mexico State and Grand Canyon, Utah State, San Diego State, we'll talk a little bit about Nevada as a projected four seed, we'll talk a little bit about the West Coast Conference. Um but first I think we want to start <laughs> with the uh the one thing that is on all of our minds. And it's not basketball related, Um, but it is something that each one of us has taken an hour and a half to watch. And I think right now is making its rounds on Netflix, even though the documentary itself is a couple of years old. Uh, This seems to be the time everyone (laughs) is talking about it. We all watched Abducted in Plain Sight this weekend and we have no other platform for
0: these <laughs> thoughts, so we're going to air them here. This is and, a podcast about sports yeah. and also pop culture. And also right so. pop
1: culture. So we're going to start with that. Uh, if if you don't know the story, I'll give you a quick synopsis and then turn it over to Chris, who I could see like visibly shaking. <laughs> as the takes are ready to explode out of him. This,
0: this has been on my mind all day. <laughs> so in short, it is...
1: It is a serious story. It's it's about a uh, woman who, as a young girl, was kidnapped not once but twice by a neighbor who had um, become very close with her family. And it's just about her experiences, um, both being kidnapped, being brainwashed by this man, and kind of the horrors that she had to go through, but also the circumstances that allowed it and it's it's a grim story but it is as bizarre and messed up a documentary as you'll ever watch so chris try to make sense of it
0: (laughs) well i don't think i can make sense of it it's just like every five minutes the story takes another turn that's just significantly weirder than the one that preceded it um i know like a lot of the there's been a lot of buzz around like true crime documentaries um lately especially with like the ted bundy thing but this is just one of the only ones that has just consistently make me like question like what the hell i'm watching like every five minutes just like parental malpractice at like every step of this like girl's life and just like it's amazing that like she's like comfortable like telling this story because it's just so bizarre and there's like so many twists and turns that like just don't make any sense and by the time you like finish watching it you're just like you're questioning why you just spent 90 minutes of that like of your life watching that and you have like it, it's it's mind-numbing it's hard to just like express my thoughts clearly because there's like so much that that went on in it
2: I guess to to put it all in perspective within the first 10 minutes you learn that the uh the girl gets kidnapped and she's missing for five days. And the mom is like, oh, I don't want to call the FBI. I don't want to be a bother. I think everything's okay. <laughs> and that is, that is the starting point for the craziness of the documentary. Yeah.
1: The, that is the mother's high point. That yeah. is what she is doing best in our minds.
0: <laughs> she, uh, in, the, in the non-kidnapper category, she, uh, she doesn't have a, have a great documentary. She has a lot of stuff going on that are very questionable decisions. I think the best part, or not the best part, but like the most like jaw dropping part was when she like willingly like puts the kid on the plane. (laughs) I was like, "Well, (laughs) she doesn't want to be here, so I guess I'll just send her off to (laughs) to the guy who to the guy who had previously kidnapped her once already."
2: I was going to ask, are we going to do spoilers in here or?
0: Um, I mean, who cares? (laughs) Who who cares?
1: Yeah, just hit fast forward if you want to watch this completely pure yeah just
0: it's bad de- like it's, there right, are some bad decisions this is right from the jump just and then they like look back and they're like i never would have guessed that this would have happened and like, he seemed like <laughs> such a nice guy and it's like mm, maybe not
2: but yet That's, the same guy put both of the parents in potentially, like, blackmail situations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a little love triangle situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, I, I,
2: on one hand, like, okay, they're in a, they're in a weird spot. But on the other hand, they let this slide for so long.
0: <laughs> one thing that we forgot to mention, this is, like, huge spoiler. The kidnapper ends up committing suicide by, was it, Pills and then Kahlua and milk.
1: That is correct. Yeah. That that combination we all know and love.
0: <laughs> that's like the That's like something you would make as like a sophomore in college that can't yet buy like alcohol on your own, so you just kinda drink whatever's in your fridge because Yeah, but not <laughs> milk. <laughs> hey, like desperate times call for desperate measures. I mean that's I, I can't even fathom like that's that's
1: the whole thing is There are aliens. I was going to say, we didn't even mention the aliens.
2: There's the biker gang. The biker biker gang.
1: gang. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which goes
0: totally overlooked. The CIA lie. And then, like, (laughs) and then the mom ends up writing a book. Like, what a tremendous grift. All right. Should we talk
1: about basketball? Or should we do another hour? (laughs) I
0: was going to say, it'll only go downhill from (laughs) here. Welcome to the Rewatchables podcast. Today, we'll be discussing abducted in plain sight. (laughs) make sure like the best part of it has been like people we know watching it after us and like giving us uh, a and drive, watching like, their reactions it. and <laughs> just like as they progress like through it, it's just like more and more stages of like what the hell is going on? Like, what am I watching?
1: All right. Let's talk about basketball now. Actually, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fine.
1: Sorry to ruin the fun. So we had um possibly the biggest game of the weekend. Uh, in terms of like conference implications, New Mexico State went to Grand Canyon and won a close one. Uh, our own Matt Craig was there. He wrote a fantastic piece. It's up on the site. Just take a look about New Mexico State and what is essentially a 14-man rotation that they have, which is not something you would have expected going into this year, uh, given that I think they only returned one starter from a year ago, brought in 10 new players. And I guess, you know, according to Matt and and his story, you know, in practice, Chris Jans had had expected people to kind of separate themselves from the pack and no one ever really did. Everyone just sort of raised their own games and kind of brought everybody up with them. And so he plays everybody 10 or so minutes a game and, and it's worked. And New Mexico State is in the driver's seat right now will almost definitely be the one seed in the WAC tournament and the favorite uh, to go back to the NCAA tournament.
0: Yeah, I wish I would have, like, actually watched some of this game. Because it was a good ca- game. By, yeah, by all accounts, it seems like it was, a, it was a great game, but I just didn't happen to be home. But, yeah, we uh, once again, the WAC is going through Las Cruces, and what do you know? Like, Grand Canyon has a moment to, like, Kind of assert themselves and, you know, like, hey, we're here. We're ready to compete. And they blow it. Because, yeah. And I mean, like, looking at New Mexico's Ken Pompeii, which they haven't lost since that opening um, game in the whack to Cal Baptist. Cal Baptist. And, and their schedule is pretty favorable here on out. They've got um, five home games left, one's against a 91, and then their road games are just UMKC and, um, the Cougs, so I can't imagine that they're really going to be in too much danger of of losing the rest of the way.
1: No, and even if they do, I think they have like a two game cushion now, right?
0: Yeah, they're uh, they're nine and one and them, both Grand yeah. Canyon seven and three. So yeah, they've got a two game lead, and, and then even if you know Grand Canyon ties, I think I'm assuming that the head to head is probably a tiebreaker for them.
1: Yeah, but but here's the thing though. Uh, let's say New Mexico State gets the one seed like we all expect, and they beat uh, Seattle or whoever in the first game, they could get a really tough UTRGV team as the four seed in the semifinals. Uh, UTRGV is 6-4 and in the league, but they've won five out of their last six. That only loss was by two to New Mexico State. They even beat Grand Canyon. They beat Bakersfield by five in overtime. Both on the road. Both on the road. Uh, that happened over the weekend. So they are no pushover. Like They could give New Mexico State a game. They already have. Uh, so that'll be an interesting one to see. And we'll get a little preview of that on February 23rd when the Vaqueros go to Las Cruces. Did I pronounce that right? Vaqueros?
2: Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> I guess the same could be said for, uh, for Cal State Bakersfield as well. Um, yeah. Earlier before uh new mexico took on gcu uh they had like what like a 15 or 18 point lead like late in the second half and squandered that against new mexico state at home uh, they did I, that game went to overtime as well led well, to so, a very
1: regrettable tweet by us <laughs> <laughs>
2: that was and that was like right after all of the nonsense on twitter too but mm. i and you know I, I just feel like no matter what the the top five of the league is nothing to kind of like, you know, look down upon. Yeah. Um, And I also think that like maybe one of these middling teams like Utah Valley, like UTRGV and Cal State Bakersfield could get a chance to jump Grand Canyon in the standings um, because the Lopes do not have an easy closer to, to whack play here. Um, They play four of their six games on the road and their last week of the season, they travel to Utah Valley. And then to Seattle, um, which is about as tough of a road swing you could get without going to Los Cruces. So if, if, so I guess like it, 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 even though like last last Saturday's game was so good between these two teams, I feel like you can't just assume that there's going to be a third matchup in the end, um, which is simultaneously exciting and scary for the, <laughs> I guess for the whack because. You know that they they could be missing out on having one of the best two teams in the league go to the dance this year. Um, you know, such as life as a one did league, but still,
1: this is where Cam comes in and says, "Abolish conference tournaments."
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking at bracket matrix right now. Um, New Mexico State's currently sitting on the 13 line, um, but they're that that's first right. that first 13. So there's there's possibly a chance that they can move up to move up to the 12 line, and I think that's. You know, if you're a Wax, who, I think that's about as high as you could hope for.
1: Um, but they'd be a very trendy 12. Yes.
0: I mean, they were well, 12 last year, they. weren't they?
1: Oh, were they? I
0: don't uh, Yep, yet. they were 12 last year and then uh 14 the year before that. Then a... Se- no, that's the NIT. Never mind. Ah. I almost got excited. I was like, Holy shit. I going to say it was a 17. No, but...
1: Oh, right. I remember this. They lost to Clemson. Everybody wanted... To pick New Mexico State to win that game,
0: they uh, I did. played IU one I did yeah. and I was like kind of terrified that they were going to beat them. <laughs> they didn't, of course, but.
2: But I guess, like, to to kind of put a to put an end cap on uh, this New Mexico GCU talk, um, I think Matt did a fantastic job in his article, you know, displaying the depth that New Mexico State has. And you know almost as like as you know as proof of that, um, shout out to Terrell Brown, the one time San Jose State player who was walked on to Mexico State this year, who hit four threes in the last eight minutes, and I felt like he was really the difference maker down the stretch um, and this also kind of like you know to twist the knife further for San Jose State Spartan fans. You know, especially with Brandon Clark doing his thing at the Gonzaga, Terrell Brown becoming the playmaker off the bench for the Aggies. Like, you can't help but wonder what if with that team.
0: Xavier's Um, got a guy, too. Uh, Who was it? Uh, Ryan Wellage transferred there.
2: I think – yeah, I think there's, there's like, four notable transfers this year. He's the third, and they have someone that plays for Green Bay now um, that was once on San Jose State's roster.
0: Is is there a conference in the country that has a bigger gap between, like the ranking of their top team and the bottom team? Like no, there there's no way because Nevada is obviously preposterously good. Like, oh,
1: okay. let's look at the West Coast Conference. There, I was going to say no. there's no
0: way. Portland,
2: <sighs> like right now on no. Com, Gonzaga's three, and Portland is three hundred and twenty eighth.
0: So that's three twenty five. What? What's Nevada? Portland. Oh, I'm looking at last year. Nevada is set, yeah. uh, so that's 324 between we Nevada and San Jose State. So there, the difference between Gonzaga and Portland is one ranking spot bigger than the difference between Nevada and San Jose State.
1: All right, uh, let's move on, please. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys about the Valley because we talked about Loyola on the last podcast and how they have established themselves as the best team in that league. That hasn't changed. They have opened up a pretty sizable lead in that conference. I think the more interesting question might be who is the second best team in the Valley. uh, Because right now it is a three-way tie between Drake, Missouri state and Illinois state, all at seven and five. And one of those teams has to be the two-seed in Arch Madness, and I'm wondering who you guys think that might be. I know I have my answer. I, I don't just, like any I, of
2: these
0: teams. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get suckered in by Illinois State again and say that. That's them. my answer.
0: I think I am, too. Like, they should they should have they won over the weekend.
1: They they have lost two conference games this year on half-court buzzer beaters. Jesus. That, that does was. not – like, they should be – they should be nine and three in conference. Cursed program.
0: Yeah.
2: Here, let's. I'm gonna look at the luck thing on Ken Palm and see where they rank.
0: Oh yeah, look at that. So I uh, I watched the like the last 30, five fourth? or so minutes. Fourth in luck, like bad luck or good luck.
2: Thirty fourth in good 34th. luck. They're in the positive.
0: Wow. I don't know how that metric I have is. no idea how that works. I don't know what that means. Neither, neither I'm going to pretend to be shocked. But... I think you, you,
1: have, you have shit luck if you lose two games like that, especially that Missouri State one this weekend, which should not have happened. Yeah, that was just a complete in any way. cluster
0: of – Yeah. Like, it was what, five, they scored like five points in, what was it, like seven seconds or something? Yeah. Doing and it
2: was,
1: like, it was like a scramble at half. Yeah. A loose ball, and the guy picked it up and threw it
0: in. Yeah I was I was watching that uh like the highlights that Kyle put in his his post from it and just that entire sequence is, like I have no idea like who's going to be the one that's like picking up the ball and I actually firing it like I wasn't exactly sure like which team was which at the at the moment Oh it was me, me too. I I watched the so
1: when Kyle first put the message in the in Slack that it that happened I had just gotten to the gym and I was going to like not be online for the next hour or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I just put, yeah, write a story. And then I sat down on the bike and turned on ESPN and it was the first story that came up and I could not figure out what was going to happen until that half court shot went up.
2: It was that like eight players had a chance at the ball at the end? Yeah. Like in that sc- in the middle, which is absurd. I mean, I, I remember watching that game and – it was just completely flabbergasted which is why i wrote the post just because i was like all right this is incredibly stupid <laughs> but, but yet it's like so it, 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 i've read it in my post but i felt like it was like such a fitting play for how <laughs> illinois state has been this year <laughs> you know they have just had so yeah. many opportunities to like really challenge loyola chicago and really like make it make a splash on the national scene but they've just like tripped over themselves so many times.
1: Another big game from the weekend uh, San Diego State beat Utah State 68 63. Um, this was a big game because Utah State, we talked about it on the last pod, was kind of creeping up as a potential at large team. Uh, this loss really hurt their chances. I, I mean, if, if you've listened to this pod for a while, you know that I hesitate to say that any one game kills their chances. Uh, but but this one really hurt. I did get a chance to watch it. I don't know if either of you did. No. Um, I watched well, I watched the second half of that game. Um I actually even though they lost, I kind of I was a little I was impressed with Utah State. I'll be honest. Uh Sam Merrill, if you haven't seen him play, he's very, all, very he's fun really good. He had thirty five points, um was six of twelve from three um Utah state doesn't do anything like overly complicated offensively mm-hmm. but they just set set like a lot of high ball screens for him at like the top of the key and he would just step back and nail a three and it works so it's great um they got pretty much nothing from anyone else offensively although i would note that they have this freshman uh big man mm-hmm. Nemius Quita i think that's how you say it um he's like, I could totally see him in two or three years just being our, like, token favorite player. He's a beast. <laughs> He's a beast. He had six points, ten rebounds, three assists, three blocks. He was just a whole lot of fun to watch. I I enjoyed watching Utah State. Uh, San Diego State played a really good game defensively. Uh, Utah State had a lot of, like, prolonged offensive droughts, uh, to San Diego State's credit, and the Aztecs are not a terrible team by any stretch. They're actually they're coming on strong. They've won 4 out of 5. Uh, so this was actually I think more oppressive for them than it was um, a bad sign for Utah State except of course for the fact that now Utah State's road to and at large gets a whole lot more difficult.
0: Yeah, going back to what you said about Utah State, how they they don't really do anything great but they just play really solid basketball. Um, that was kind of the case uh, with South Dakota when Craig Smith was there. Um, mm-hmm. He, he uses Sam Merrill a lot. Like he used uh, Matt Mooney, just kind of putting the ball in his hands, running him off some ball screens, nothing like overly complex, but he's, he finds a system that kind of works with his personnel. And I, I think he's going to do really well there. I think he's one of the best young coaches um, in the country and I'm, Not surprised that he's been able to have that kind of success there. You want to take a quick break and come back after the jump?
1: Yeah, that that sounds good.
0: All right. We will be back in just a moment.
1: We're back here on the Mid-Major Madness podcast. want to stay on the West Coast with our discussion, uh, talk a little bit about the West Coast Conference. Gonzaga, we know what we're getting from them. The committee projected them to be a one seed in their top 16 reveal this weekend we hoped for a lot of this season that they that that conference could find a second bid uh beginning of the year we thought it might be BYU then we thought it might be St. Mary's and then we thought San Francisco because they had been playing really well now we're not so sure and i think Kyle you would wanted to talk about that because the league seems to be kind of eating itself up outside of Gonzaga
2: yeah um it's not been a pretty like a red letter week for teams not named Gonzaga recently especially with um, like this is the part of the season where it just so happens that teams like st Mary's and San Francisco and San Diego are all playing each other um, this like I think the past few weeks were poised to you know either set one of these teams up um, in a great position to you know solidify their resume and really like you know pick up those quadrant one wins but you know, truth be told that hasn't happened. Um, I'm looking at the net ratings right now. Um, of, of the three teams I just mentioned, I'm not even going to talk about BYU yet. Um, but I will in just a second, um, between St. Mary's, San Francisco and San Diego, only two of them are uh, top 52. Uh, St. Mary's leads the pack at 50, San Francisco's at 52. And between the three of these teams, um, if you want to break it down by quadrant one wins, um, this trio has only one quadrant win to its name. Uh, they are one in 14 in such games, which is not good. Um, you know, especially like as these, you know, high major conferences start to, you know, pick up quality wins against each other on a night in and night out basis. I just feel like unfortunately the West Coast conference has squandered those opportunities, especially in this past month. Um, you know, I think the last time I talked about the WCC, I, you know, I was I was kind of down on San Francisco. I, I, I think the phrase I used was I thought that the NET ratings were, were a little too cute with them to begin with um, as an at-large team. Um, unfortunately, right now they're the best chance at an at-large team, in my opinion, especially after the absolute shellacking that Gonzaga gave the Gales this past weekend. Um, but it really boils down to it's, it, it's beat Gonzaga once – and or win the WCC tournament or bust uh, for yeah. this trio of rules, um, which is it's really disappointing because, like, I, 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 I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you know, shoot straight here. All three of these teams um, are really good basketball teams, um, not only from a mid-major stance, but I feel like you could expand that a bit, especially with just, like, how down the Pac-12 is this year, um, how weird the Big East has been this year. I felt like this should have been the time that one of these programs would have stepped up and you know, you know, filled that void that these other programs have you know kind of bowed out of. But unfortunately, just like you know, between the auto cannibalization of these teams, and then on top of that, losing to bad teams, um, like San Diego was swept by Pepperdine this past weekend, and I'm not saying that just because I went to school there. Um, but that is just objectively not a good win um, if you're if you're going to look at that from a resume standpoint, or not a good loss rather. And Saint Mary's has also lost to Pepperdine, um, and has just been shellacked by Gonzaga, as I said. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel like this is this is kind of a bummer, um, especially because you know all three of these teams have really different like styles of play. You know you. Y- you put them at a 12 seed or a 13 seed line in the tournament, things could get really interesting um, just because of the styles of play they have. But unfortunately I don't think they're going to get there Um, and it's going to be back to the drawing board for next season as well. Um, Just because Gonzaga's not going anywhere. (laughs) And realistically, I think San Francisco is the best shot of beating Gonzaga. They played them relatively close (laughs) <laughs> as far as Gonzaga goes, they lost by thirty. Um, the the second time close. that they met, yeah, in the kennel. Um, but yeah, that that first game on January twelfth, I think that was that was the conference's best shot at getting two bids. But I feel like that dream is over now.
1: So situations like what we have in the West Coast Conference kind of drive me bananas, and it's a reason and this is going to be very unpopular, I get that. It's a reason why I understand the people who say they want the NCAA tournament to go to, like, 96 teams, which is insane. (laughs) But you look at the West Coast Conference, and you have, say, San Diego, San Francisco, BYU, St. Mary's. Now, I'm not saying that all four or even any of those four are, like, NCAA tournament quality teams although I think San Francisco might be. But they are all good enough that I think they deserve the chance to play their way in. And in this conference, they cannot do that because they are going to beat up on each other.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so, like, that's why I get it. Like, they're all good enough to be, like, solid NIT teams. And if you're good enough to be a solid NIT team, I think you're good enough to be, like, the dangerous 12 seed because there's really no difference there. yeah. So it it just annoys me. It annoys me that in the West Coast Conference, the margin of error is that thin. And really, the only realistic way, I think, at this point, that that conference gets two bids is if someone shocks Gonzaga in the West Coast Conference tournament, which could happen. I mean, you know, the upsets happen, uh, but it's not very likely at all.
0: It isn't... I'm going to look up the
2: last time that a team other than Gonzaga won in, in the uh, West Coast Conference tournament. Which, uh, like, St. even Mary's though the season must have been, right? Yeah. Was that 2012?
1: I know that the last time a team other than Gonzaga or St. Mary's won it, it was San Diego in 2008. And I remember it was,
2: that. Uh, was Yeah. Yeah, that was 08, hmm. and that was the eventually waived off by sanctions year for the order, for the Terros. So I remember that
1: for two reasons. One, because like that's a trivia question that comes up all the time because Gonzaga mm-hmm. or St. Mary's are always the best team. Uh, and two, because San Diego beat UConn at the buzzer in the first round of the tournament that year. And A.J. Price got hurt and I was so upset because I thought that team could make a really good run. And then San Diego beat him at the buzzer. Um, so that's how I remember that that team. Then you kind of went to the Final Four next year. it Was fine, but
0: yeah, and it's kind of been the case like the last I don't know what has it been four or five years that we're just kind of like begging like some some second team to to like step up and like make a case for an at large bid. Um, I know there was not the same area's team last year, but the year before that they got into the tournament. And I think there was a BYU team that made it to but Mm -hmm. like you said just every year they're just cannibalizing themselves that's the thing
1: if you're going to be an at-large team from a mid-major conference you have to be like on the court good enough to be like an eight or a nine seed Mm -hmm. not saying you can't get in as an 11 or a 12 because you can and it's happened but you have to be that good so that you don't drop these games during the regular season yeah, uh, it's an unfair standard that you're held to, but that's just the reality of the situation. And I think that the net rankings, and this could be a transition into our next topic, is helping this a little bit. But I don't know what the solution is. To be honest with you, to actually get the 68 best teams in the country in the field,
2: just win the right games. I mean,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: It's so dismissive, but like. You know, if one of these teams really asserted themselves in conference play, I don't think we'd be having this conversation right now, you know. San Francisco's only losses were to Gonzaga. I feel like they're an at-large team.
1: Oh, absolutely. No question. So, But, like, here's the thing. Like, pretend you are the commissioner of the West Coast Conference for a second. You want... Like, forget about the NCAA tournament. You want for you know, for the excitement of your league for attention to be on your league for it to be as competitive as possible. Right. So you want, obviously you want Gonzaga to be really good. You want St. Mary's to be really good. You want BYU to be really good. San Diego, San Francisco, whatever. But if you're one of these schools, which to be honest, if you're not Gonzaga or BYU, you probably don't have a whole lot of money to fund your athletic department. You want as many bids as possible because you Mm -hmm. want those tournament credits because that's say 200 and something thousand dollars a year over six years. You want as many bids as you could possibly get. You want one of those non Gonzaga teams to dominate the rest of them,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because that's the only way they're getting into the NCAA tournament. And it makes the season itself a little less exciting, but if it means you get two bids instead of one, then you'd need that to happen. And I just think that's a shame.
0: I mean, it's kind of the case in the mountain West this year too. You were kind of absolutely kind of like
1: Utah state and Fresno
0: state. Exactly. And even like back when like Wichita state was doing their thing in the Valley, you were kind of hoping that it was the same thing, the same thing. that second team is like uh, not quite at that level as you know, as a Wichita state, but they need to be a cut above the rest of the league so that they're entering, you know, the conference tournament with, you know, two or three losses and right some of those losses coming to that top team.
1: So this wasn't something we planned to discuss, but I kind of want to throw it out there because I'm curious, something that people bring up in our mentions on Twitter a lot. Oh boy. (laughs) No, but, but I think it's, I think it's a legit thing to discuss because I don't really know how I stand on this. If you're in the, if you're in a power conference and you finish below 500 in your league, should you be eligible to make the NCAA tournament? If you're
0: not in the Big Ten, yes. <laughs> no, that I mean, I think it, it's a legitimate question to ask. No, but the thing about that is, is like so many of these te- of these conferences are shifting to to twenty right to twenty game schedules. I mean, when you're playing seventy five percent of your your schedule against you know teams from within your conference, most of which are going to be at least and somewhat contention for an at large bid, like right, so if you go like say so you finish a game under five hundred there's it there could have been a point in the season where you you know maybe you was on a buzzer beater, or maybe um something fluky happens like I, I I don't think that you should be automatically disqualified, but I think they should be looked at with an extra layer of caution and really dig into okay, why did this team finish under five hundred? Did they right. lose a bunch of games they shouldn't have? Or maybe they got – like this year the big thing in the Big Ten is there's three teams that are in contention, Michigan, Michigan State, and Purdue. Purdue has a significantly easier schedule than the rest of – than Michigan right. and Michigan State. Maybe there's a, a team that's right on the bubble that just gets hammered with a brutal schedule. And I think that – um you know, the selection committee would have to look at a scenario like that where you would really kind of pit up against a, a sub 500 power five team against say like the Lipscomb come from this year and kind of evaluate and see which team you think is more like more worthy of, of being that at large team.
1: Right. Okay, so there's like 100 things that you just said that I want to touch on.
0: Yeah, so I, I, I kind of I, rambled there for a
1: minute. No, but everything you said was a good point, so I want to try to address it. Uh, number one, I agree with you in that if you're below 500 in the conference and you're, like, say, an ACC school, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not worthy mm-hmm. of an at-large bit. I understand that um i think the counterpoint to that would be that if you're an nca tournament team which means you're in the running to you know go on a six game win streak and win the whole thing then mm-hmm. you should be able to beat good teams and beat right. enough good teams to finish 500 or better i get that on the other hand i don't know and the the whole thing came up because we're talking about like san francisco you know, which took a couple of bad losses, being good enough. Would San Francisco go 500 playing an ACC schedule? I have no idea. Probably yeah, not.
0: Probably not. But probably that, not. That's a hypothetical, though. We, but that's a hypothetical. We'll never know. <laughs> uh,
1: but I think one thing that the net does is try to standardize that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, because it takes into account efficiency metrics, which is something that the RPI did not do. So, it's more than just strength of schedule, which a lot of mid major schools don't have control over. So, and also the, the committee, and they said this during the top 16 reveal this weekend, they look at more than just the net. They look at Kenpom, BPI, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. So, they do try to take all that into account. So, that's a good thing.
0: Okay. Um, I've got a thought to counter that. Okay. If you're, say, if you're a mid major school that you think is going to, have a good, ch- a really good team, and could potentially be an at-large mm-hmm. team. With the limited opportunities that have come for like a quality win, at what point do you just kind of decide to maybe try to game the the net and really kind of bump up those efficiency metrics by scheduling a bunch of cupcakes?
1: So I don't. Well, sorry, Kyle. Go ahead. Well,
2: I, we uh, like this is just year one of the net, and I feel mm-hmm. like that's one of those things that you know we'll we'll see in the next couple years is if like I I think I think next year scheduling is going to be really important. Yeah. Like if we start mm-hmm. to notice like certain mid majors that you know used to really challenge themselves in the non conference, all of a sudden try to game it so that they can boost up those efficiency numbers, mm-hmm. I think then we'll kind of get our answer, and we'll wait till that plays out and see how that works. Um, yeah, I just you know I. I just feel like we need a few more seasons of this under our belt D team, um, in order to like really make like, uh, you know, make a, you know, make us make a judgment call on it.
1: So, so here's my thing though. We don't know what the formula is right. for the net. So I don't know if you could say it's more beneficial to schedule an easier team to game the net in terms of efficiency numbers mm-hmm. than it is to schedule a good team and game the net in terms of strength of schedule numbers because exactly. both factor into this.
0: Uh, yeah, that's part of why I think I've, heard, it, I've read some quotes where there's a little bit of frustration from it, these coaches. Like, we don't but, know what the formula is and how, like, right. how it's affecting us.
1: <laughs> and, and I get the frustration, but it also, to me, means that if I were a head coach, I wouldn't change my approach. No. Uh, now that we're going to the net than we did from the RPI, because with uh, with the RPI, I think the general conventional wisdom was schedule the best teams that you think you could beat. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's changed here. No. Because the net still factors in your winning percentage and your opponent's winning percentage
0: mm-hmm.
1: and your strength of schedule.
0: Then. Location like neutral, and then, right? Or
1: right, and, and it factors in all, all that other stuff, which I think helps standardize it a little bit. But it's still at its core, there are still a lot of RPI qualities to it, yeah. And I think the RPI is kind of unnecessarily crapped on a little bit mm-hmm. just because it's a cool thing to do. Um, and don't get me wrong that it's an incredibly flawed formula, but it was used for a while because it was the best thing available. And I think it did do a good job of trying to compare, you know, one team, say twenty and ten record, with another. Um, the net is supposedly just a better way of doing it, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think it's wise to just completely discount the uh, qualities that the RPI used to take into account.
0: Yeah, I mean, more more often than not. They got ninety-five percent of the field right with using yeah. the RPI. Like, there's, there's always going to be gripes about, right? You know, bubble teams, but more often than not, I think the general consensus that the RPI is bad. I agree with it's, it's overblown, but it's, it's not a perfect metric, and there's never going to be a perfect metric, and I, I do think that. The net is on the right track. I mean, you. I agree. When you look at the the rankings. You you see where the teams stack up. You can kind of, you know, it kind of makes sense. Like Gonzaga, Gonzaga is one. Duke's two. Virginia three. Tennessee four. Kentucky five. I, I might be mistaken. Is that top five in the AP poll?
1: Uh, well, Tennessee's in number one.
0: Yeah. Ball. And and then those are all top ten Ken Palm teams. So I think there's going to be uh, discrepancies here and there. And that's right. the case for whatever metric you decide to use. But uh, for the most part, I think it's getting the right teams. Right.
1: Right. And, and as we've said a hundred times, like the net is not supposed to be the one mm-hmm. metric that is used to determine the field. Because if it was, then we would just take the 36 best at large teams in the net and call it a day. But at
0: large Wofford.
1: Well, yes. <laughs> um, but I think the net is giving teams like Wofford and Lipscomb hope if they slip up in, in the in their conference tournaments.
0: Oh, it's going to be both of
2: those teams credit. They haven't slipped up yet. They you know, haven't. They're apart.
1: But but here's the thing, though. I guess this isn't true for the A Sun because they play on campus sites at like very reasonable times.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: SoCon has played on a neutral site, and like if you draw that like Thursday afternoon at noon game, mm-hmm. like weird stuff happens. That's just how it is. Like Wofford could get knocked off by UNC Greensboro or whatever and have to need that large bit all of a sudden.
0: Oh, that's going to be wild. Do you want to transition into Nevada talk? Because they, yeah. I think they were kind of the big winner from the – or one of the big winners from the bracket reveal on Saturday.
1: Yeah, so the bracket – so the NCAA men's basketball committee revealed its top sixteen teams, which would then be like the top four seeds in each region. And Nevada was revealed to be a four seed. Um and that is I think the net had them at the time at fifteen, so that would be right in the range of a four seed. So it is right around where you would expect them to be. And I, I have two thoughts on this that I, I wanted to kind of get your guys' opinion on. And it's two very different things. Uh, first one is if Nevada Nevada has only lost one game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was to, to New Mexico. If Nevada had won that game and had been undefeated, I think they would have been a number one seed. Because if you're undefeated Ooh. here's yeah. the thing if you're undefeated, yeah, I think the conventional wisdom is that you get a one seed if you went to the tournament undefeated.
0: Yeah, I mean, how, how is it
1: fair that that one game cost them three seed lines? That's my first question. My second question is, with Nevada showing up roughly on par to where its net is, is that a good sign for teams like Lipscomb and Wofford? So, attack that.
2: I I'm gonna look up all the one loss teams here. Um, I mean that that one loss, like to New Mexico. New Mexico is a bad team. Like they are. Yeah. Right. That has
1: to factor into it. 173
2: Absolutely. in Ken Palm. And, like, if you look at the other two one loss teams, Tennessee mm-hmm. and Houston, like, the closest bad loss is Houston losing to Temple, and they're a mm-hmm. top 100 team. Yeah,
0: because Tennessee yeah, lost to like so, a
2: you a know,
1: large candidate. New Mexico's not.
2: Yeah. I mean, like, it, I, I feel like it is, you know, it is warranted just because of how bad new mexico is and how bad nevada performed in that game like it wasn't it wasn't like a close loss like keeping like, that was right. they got blown, was out. The, yeah. mean, blown out yeah that's definitely a blown out team that shouldn't snuff the cits
0: <laughs> <laughs> i feel like the big takeaway um, is just that it seems like the committee is really valuing when the games that you're provided with Yep. win what is on your schedule? I mean, I think that that Nevada hasn't even had a Q one opportunity, but they're eight and zero in Q two games, and they're seven and one on the road. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I think they they scheduled thinking that you know some of these teams could turn into quadrant one wins, like a road game Arizona at USC, State. Arizona yeah. State, um, Loyola mm-hmm. Chicago. I think people thought was going to be better BYU, South Dakota State like they they made this schedule before the like before the NET was announced that it was going to be implemented this right. year which i think is a whole other issue of what of that i have with the NET being rolled out this year but um kind of going off of that i think that bodes well for for schools like lipscomb and and wafford it just like they're controlling what they can control they're winning the games that are in front of them Wofford could have easily like a little bit not eliminated, but pretty much all but eliminated themselves last week with a loss to, to East Tennessee State.
1: All right. I think we're we're done yelling at you. So for Kyle Tejero <laughs> and Chris Shuty, I'm Russ Steinberg. Thank you so much for listening to the Mid Major Madness Podcast. We'll talk to you again real soon.